So we're recording this the day before the Super Bowl happens. So, John, any predictions? Who's going to win? Who's going to be this year's left shark? I have no predictions, <laughs> uh, but I have an even better question. Do you know who's playing in the Super Bowl in the first place, Brian? I do not. I just <laughs> know that it's not the Patriots because my neighbors were really sad the other week. <laughs> but but I do know something about the Super Bowl, which is that the NFL released a pretty weird ad this week. Is that Seal singing a parody of Kiss from a Rose about football with a children's chorus? Yep. Yes, it is. Uh, Specifically, (laughs) it's a parody about how the birth rate of Super Bowl winning cities skyrockets about nine months after the game. So you're telling me that these are children singing about their own conceptions. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure what's going on there, (laughs) but it does give us an excuse to talk about an amazing song. You ready? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Hey, I'm Brian Barone. And I'm John Lago Marcino. You're listening to Tuner. The show where we dig into popular music, one song at a time. Today's song is Kiss from a Rose by Seal. So they probably aren't a representative sample of the globe, but among our friends, almost everybody loves Kiss from a Rose. I even know a guy who legitimately thinks that it should be the U.S. national anthem. Which is weird, because Seal's British. But it seems like admiration for him is widespread. If you Google the word Seal, his website and Wikipedia entry come up before the entry for the adorable animal. At least for me, though, there's something a little odd about Loving Kiss from a Rose. Even though it's, like, sincerely my favorite song, I can totally forget that it exists sometimes, and, like, for months at a time. Right, and unless you happen to watch Batman Returns on a regular basis, not many things are going to remind you of the song. This pretty unusual quality is what we're going to talk about today. See, we think that Kiss from a Rose is impossible to sort into any one genre, or even any combination of genres. In other words, it doesn't line up neatly with the bulk of our musical experiences, which makes it both really special and really easy to lose in the shuffle. The concept of genre can be a little bit tricky to talk about, and lots of us use that word in more than one way, which can get confusing. But for now, let's just think of genres as labels for pieces of music that somehow, some way, go together. It might seem like it wouldn't be that hard to come up with a checklist of qualities that songs in a certain genre always or usually have. But whenever people try to come up with a solid theory of genre like this, they seem to run into the following problem. Either their checklist is so narrow that songs that feel like they should obviously qualify don't, or the list is so broad that it sweeps up, like, every bit of music ever. But luckily, an idea that literature scholars originally came up with saves the day here. It goes like this. What if genre isn't in pieces of music? What if genre is something we do when we make or we listen to music? 
The idea is that genre might be like a contract between the creators of a song and us listeners. The creators somehow signal what genre they're working with and agree, more or less, to do things the way other members of the family have done them before. On our side, we agree to respond to the song according to what's usually important in the genre. You know, to dance to a dance song, or whatever. A song can signal what genre it's in in lots of different ways. The title might give it away, for instance. Sometimes this is super obvious, like Three O'Clock Blues is probably a blues. Can I please, please forgive me? Forgive me for my sins. But it can be more subtle, like our song from the last episode, Can't Take My Eyes Off You, which we guess is some kind of love song. Songs can also clue us into what genre contract they're offering in other ways, too. Lyrics, from what language they're in, to what they're about, to how formal or informal they are. Or it could be certain combinations of instruments, certain musical structures, or tempos or feels. Things get really fun when we notice that either side in the agreement can mess with it. They can bend or break the contract, either by accident or on purpose. In fact, this is part of how genres change over time. So, for instance, a songwriter might fake us out, or add something new, or try to blend genres together. Or we could listen to one genre like it were a different one in order to have some kind of new experience. So try putting on Mozart, but dancing to it like Skrillex sometime. But here's the thing about Kiss from a Rose. We can't even get that far. It never offers us a clear contract to sign. Here's what we mean. At least for me, Kiss from a Rose constantly sends the most mixed of mixed messages. It's hard to decide how I'm supposed to listen to it, what my end of the contract would even be, never mind if I want to live up to it. And Billboard seems to agree here. The song charted on the Hot 100, Adult Contemporary, R&B slash Hip Hop, Modern Rock, Mainstream, and Rhythmic Charts. In the song, all of this starts from the very beginning. We'll be listening to the version off of Seal's second album here, the one people call Seal 2. The version on the Batman Returns soundtrack is just a little bit different. That's like seven or eight Seals singing at once, without instrumental accompaniment, a cappella. So we might start out with a guess that what's going on here has to do with one of the famous a cappella genres like barbershop or doo-wop or some kinds of gospel. We can compare this to a hit Billy Joel had 11 or 12 years before Kiss from a Rose that did exactly that. Billy Joel makes it pretty clear what contract he's offering here. On top of the a cappella singing, he includes all kinds of stuff that we might associate pretty strongly with a particular genre. From the snaps and the peppy tempo, to this bass line and the clear major key harmonies, to that really high kind of singing called falsetto, which totally screams that this belongs to a very particular family of songs. With Seal, though, we don't get this. There's acapella singing, but none of the other markers of the famous acapella genres. So, no contract. And besides, instruments come in after just a few seconds, but we'll get back to them. There's another thing we might hear right away that's pretty interesting in terms of genre. The song's meter. Meter is a name for the way time is organized in certain kinds of music. The basic idea is that you'll hear repeating groups of regular numbers of pulses, or beats. We've shown this kind of thing before, but check it out again. If we get some pulses going... 
and then add some extra stress to certain ones, we can feel the pattern as a string of repeating groups of a given number. So here's two. One, two, one, two, one, two. Or three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Or four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Then we can add another variable by dividing up each beat itself in different ways. If we split each beat in two, people call that simple time. One and two and three and four and. And if we split each beat in three, it's called compound time. One and a two and a three and a four and a. While I've never actually seen the statistics to prove this, the conventional wisdom goes that most songs, in I guess what we could call the British and American popular traditions, use a simple four. But Seal isn't always that mainstream. On the album Seal 2, for example, one of the songs uses groupings of seven, and Kiss from a Rose is mostly in a compound two, or we'd usually call that six eight. So that's groupings of two, two beats per measure, with each beat divided into three, like this. One and uh, two and uh, one and uh, two and... Uh. In terms of signaling genre, different meters can have more or less strong associations. Because there's so much music in four, for example, that fact alone doesn't tell us all that much. But on the other hand, notice how a certain lilting kind of three pretty much guarantees that we'll interpret a piece as being in the waltz genre. If you're a U.S. politics watcher, you've maybe heard the kind of 6-8 meter that Kiss from a Rose uses quite a bit in the last few weeks. And this example is a good one for showing what 6-8 might suggest about genre, at least for me. I'm thinking of the Simon and Garfunkel song, America. Let us be lovers, we'll marry our fortunes together. That gently rocking 6-8 is part of what helps establish the contract for folk music for me here. Plus, of course, the acoustic guitar and the wordy lyrics, etc., etc. But again, just like with the acapella stuff before, even if the meter starts us down this path to thinking that maybe this is a folk-like song, the other elements that'd make that contract clear just aren't here. So we're back to square one again. And anyway... Even in the very first verse, Seal messes with the meter to make things a bit more complicated than a plain 6-8, because he's the coolest person alive. Every so often in the first verse, Seal interrupts the regular flow of the 6-8 meter with a measure of what we'd call 3-8. That is, one beat that's divisible into three parts. The counting feels like this. I'll do a bar of 6-8, then a bar of 3-8, then another bar of 6-8, so kind of a sandwich thing. One and a two and uh, one, and uh, one, and uh, two, and... Uh. Not a huge disruption, right? Feels more like a gentle hesitation, a pretty subtle little bending of musical time. And here's what actually happens in the song. One, and uh, two, and uh, one, and uh, two, and uh, one, and uh, two, and uh, one, and uh, one, and uh, two, and uh, one, and uh, two, and uh, one, and uh, one, and uh, two, and uh, one, and uh, one, and uh, two, and uh, one, and uh, two, and uh, one, and two, and uh, one, and uh, two, and uh, one. 
No surprise, this irregular metrical scheme doesn't clarify the genre question much at all. It might hint at so-called prog rock, for example, which relishes playing around with rhythm like this. Or maybe for some listeners, they'll perceive a reference to one of the dozens or hundreds of kinds of music from around the world that also like to use asymmetrical patterns. But again, Seal doesn't layer in more detail that it suggests anything very specific. And after the first verse, Seal mostly stops playing this little game with 3-8 measures altogether. There's just one in the second verse, and then none for the rest of the song. Yet more slipperiness. We should also talk about what's maybe Kiss from a Rose's most distinctive feature, that famous oboe line. Instrumentation can go a long way in our estimations of genre. If I hear a double bass, a drum kit, a piano, and a saxophone or two, I'm really likely to decide that what I'm listening to is jazz of some sort. As a usual member of a symphony orchestra, the oboe in Kiss from a Rose might seem like it wants to nudge us in the classical direction. But again, really not much else in the song would confirm that. Even with the strings and French horns that come in toward the middle, it's still obviously a pop song of some sort even if we can't figure out exactly which. This gets to the heart of what seems kind of special about listening to Kiss from a Rose for us. We said at the beginning that our half of the genre contract as listeners is that we agree, if we want, to pay attention to the song in certain ways, or to give importance to the things that are usually important in that genre. So if we're listening to rap, for instance, we agree to listen to the wordplay and flow, where all the exciting stuff's happening, and not to get distracted by the beat at the expense of the words. Plus, we know to be alert for puns and allusions, to listen beyond the surface of the lyrics. And something similar might be true for the Simon and Garfunkel from earlier. Sorting out the genre contract is a major factor in steering our listening. It gives us both a kind of user's guide and a bunch of reference points to other songs in the family and that all helps us to have a meaningful experience. But those kinds of guide rails are exactly what Kiss from a Rose keeps refusing to give us. Instead of a clear contract, we get some kind of shifty, hand-scribbled lease. And even though I probably wouldn't sign one of those in real life, I'm pretty happy to take that offer from Seal. Because instead of expectations and allusions to other songs, we get to kind of ride the wave of all these diverse things Seal and his producer have gathered together. An oboe and a French horn over here, a bunch of seals singing at once over there, some crafty metrical tricks. It's an experience you've only ever had before when listening to this particular song. And that's maybe why it's so easy to listen to over and over again. People like to call things one of a kind when they're special or unusual. But I think Kiss from a Rose might go beyond even that. It doesn't even have a kind to be one of. It's the rare song that's only itself. Thanks so much for listening. Tuner is Brian Barone and me, John Lago Marcino. And hey, if you're looking for another podcast about music, might we recommend Between the Liner Notes? It's a documentary show by Matthew Billy about music, why it is the way it is, and how it got to be that way. There's a new episode every month, and I have a hunch Tuner listeners would really dig episode number two, which is about tuning and temperament. It's seriously great. Check it out at betweenthelinernotes.com or search for Between the Liner Notes in your podcast app. 
This week's song, Kiss from a Rose, was performed and written by Seal. It was produced by Trevor Horn, mixed by Steve Fitzmaurice, and mastered by Stephen Markison. If you like our show, as always, you can visit us at our website, tuner.show, and follow us on Twitter at TunerShow. We'd love to hear about your personal reactions to this song and really any other that we've done, too. Make sure to subscribe and tell your friends about us. Just search for Tuner on iTunes or really any other podcast app. As always, we'd really appreciate it if you left a rating or review on iTunes because that goes a long way. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. <laughs>